This is session seven already. Can you believe that? It's November. Wow, that's craziness. It's uh, November 5th today. This is session seven of Trusting God When It Hurts. There are some note sheets floating around here, so if, you, if you'd like one. Um, uh, I don't know where they're at. Oh, Roz has them. So grab one of those. We are, uh, we're in a, in a series called Trusting God When It Hurts, like I said. I'm using um, Dan McCartney's book of, uh, the, the title of the book is Why Does It Have to Hurt? Just using that kind of as an outline, as the basis for our studies. And last week we looked at the lessons of Job. And one lesson that we learned is that we likely don't know the reasons for suffering. We likely don't know the reasons for suffering. And what what we meant by that was that for any specific person experiencing any specific suffering, right, we likely don't know the specific reasons, all the specific reasons for that suffering. For any specific person experiencing specific suffering, we likely don't know the specific reasons for that instance of suffering. Right? After all, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord, right? Is that right? You're taking my word for it, okay? At least some of you, some of you know that verse. However, that verse goes on to say this, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. I'm using Dan's trick to to back up and get out of the sun. Thank you for coaching me. Um, Yeah, so so the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. And the reason I bring that up is because our gracious God has revealed some reasons why Christians suffer, okay? So if that sounds a little contradictory, think of it as nuance. So for any specific suffering, we likely don't know all the specific reasons why we're suffering. However, in the New Testament, we do learn that there are specific reasons why Christians suffer. And that's the topic for our next four weeks, why Christians suffer. We'll take one week to try and answer. Uh, There are four reasons that we can identify And before we look at our first reason today, let me pray for us as we begin. Our Father, again, we thank you that we can address you as our Father today. Lord, we thank you that we can come as as washed, sanctified, cleansed, and justified sinners. That we can come as, as saints because of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray as we... As we talk today, that Lord, what would happen is we would more and more identify with the Lord Jesus Christ through our union with him. Lord, we pray that these things would not simply be academic, but they would be uh, experiential as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. I'm sorry. Um, okay, thanks. We have, we have, somebody's going to help us with that. Um, so let me, let me start with this. You might take to heart the lessons of Job 
that we talked about last week. And, and you might think along these lines with a suffering friend. I likely don't know the reasons why she's suffering. And, and Job's friends cared best for, for their suffering friend when they said nothing, right? And so with my suffering friend, I'm not going to say anything. What's wrong with that approach? What's wrong with that approach? Okay, what's wrong with the approach? I'm not going to say anything. I heard no compassion. They won't know that you care. They won't know that you care. Okay. Yeah. 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 Very good. Yeah. So, not compassionate. We we want them to know. We want them to know that we know and that we care, and we need to be good listeners. Yeah. Those are all good things. Yeah, Louise. Yeah, very good, very good. Those are all good responses. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because, well, hopefully it'll be obvious, that, that not saying anything isn't helpful. In, in her book, What Grieving People Wish You Knew, Nancy Guthrie writes this. Over many years now of interacting with grieving people, I've learned a thing or two that people going through grief wish people understood. I have lots of specific, practical, usable ideas in the pages that follow her book, but the first and most important thing I have to tell you is this. What do you think she's gonna say? I heard it. It matters less what you say than that you say something. She provides a fair amount of anecdotal evidence to this important point. For, for example, right after she makes this statement, she re recounts one sufferer saying this. It wasn't so much what people said that hurt. What hurt was when people said nothing at all. Or she states the point positively, saying something about it tells me that you know that it's there, that you know that it's there, and you care that it's there, and you care about me. Not mentioning it, for whatever reason, makes me feel less cared for by you. Okay? So Job's friends did a great thing by keeping their mouths shut in a certain sense and weeping with him, weeping with those who weep, right? But again, <clears throat> the point here is, is that saying that I know what's going on and acknowledging that fact is really demonstrating care for, for other people. In fact, most of us, the problem is we don't know what to say, right? Like what in the world am I gonna say? And so here's a suggestion. Here's a suggestion. 
with someone, maybe something happened and you say, I know what happened and I'm so sorry. Now you can come up with other things to say that may be better than that, but yeah, simply say, I'm, I'm aware of what happened and I'm so sorry, okay? Yeah. Yes, I love that, I love that, right? Yeah, that, that would be a great thing to say as well. Like, man, I'm, I'm so sorry, I, I don't know what to say, but I, I care. Yeah, what, however you say that, that, that would be a great thing. Yeah, just honest, I don't really know what to say. Yeah, good. Yeah, very good, yeah. I, I, I know that something's happened and I wanna support you as best I can. Yeah, that's great. Those are great comments. Yeah, Suzanne. I just wanna give an example of how I blew it yesterday. Um, my best friend in the world, who I went to school with, passed away and I couldn't find her. Just lost her dog yesterday. Okay. And her dog is like the absolute ultimate and she's just devastated. She had to take the dog to be put down. Mm. And stupid me, I should have gone with her, but I didn't realize it at the time until later. Just having me there, I know it would have made a big difference. I yeah. really blew it big time because I just wasn't being observant or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If if you didn't hear that, Suzanne was just sharing her, her roommate lost a, a beloved pet yesterday and she's saying she had an opportunity to, 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 to show that she cared by going with her to the, to the vet. And, and you didn't do that, and you didn't realize it. And, and here's the thing, that's gonna be all of us at some point. And, and so potentially, like potentially it's maybe, maybe it is follow up and just saying, man, I'm so sorry. I, I wish I would have thought of that yesterday, but I know how hard that was. You know, I wish I would have been there. So, yeah. So, good. You're engaging with that. Now, that doesn't have a ton to do with what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Just saying that up front. Although it does talk, we're, we're talking about suffering. And so, we're both sufferers and friends of sufferers. And so, these are important things. But I want to consider in the time we have left the question of why Christians Suffer. And so here's another question for you. Have you ever experienced being drawn closer to someone because of suffering together, like similar suffering? And I'd love to hear from maybe some of you that don't typically speak out loud. I'd love to hear from, from some new folks. I'd love to hear. Have you ever experienced that of being drawn closer through suffering together with someone? And I'd love to hear an example. You have one. Yes, Christy.
Yeah. So if I could repeat that, if you didn't, if you couldn't hear, adoption and just the challenges of adoption. And and at times just feeling like this is really hard. Am I am I failing? Am I, I'm really struggling here? And and then meeting other people that had adopted and were experiencing similar things. And just wow, I'm not alone. We can talk about this. And that really helped you. Yeah, that's a great example. And that's kind of where we're going today. I, I could give a number of examples as well. But in a similar way, God uses our suffering. I'm trying to answer the question, why Christians suffer? And here's the first reason. In a similar way that suffering draws us together with other people, suffering, God uses suffering to draw us closer to Jesus in what the Bible calls a fellowship of suffering. Or to put it in a different way, one of the reasons we suffer as Christians is to identify with Jesus Christ, is identification with Jesus. And I want us to look at Philippians 3 as one of our texts today. You remember Philippians 3, Paul begins by saying, watch out for those people who tell you that they are, they can, they can be, gain acceptance with God through works of the law, right? He says, those folks aren't, it's those of us who trust in Jesus and put no confidence in our works that are truly God's people. And then Paul says, you know what? If you want to talk about works of the law, I have a really, really impressive resume, right? You remember Paul in Philippians 3? He says, basically, he says this. I was circumcised on the eighth day, a descendant of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was part of the strictest sect. I was a Pharisee, right? He says, if you want to compare resumes, check out mine. I even persecuted God's people in my zeal. According to the law, I was blameless. And then he goes on to say this. But when I met Jesus Christ, I realized that my resume was useless. It was like filthy rags. <clears throat> and then he goes on to say this. But everything that was gain was a gain to me. I have considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth. Actually, in the original language, it's poop. I'm not kidding. I consider them filth, dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship <clears throat> of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now let's focus on verse 10 just for, for a sec here. Paul says, my goal is, is to know him. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? amen. He says, right? 
My goal is to know him. And he says, my goal is to know the power of his resurrection. Can I get an amen? Amen. And then he goes on to say, my goal is to participate in his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Can I get an amen? Amen. Maybe not so much. It's a little bit more difficult to get excited about that last part of verse 10. The Greek word there that's translated fellowship or maybe it's participation in some of your, in some of your uh, translations, is the Greek word koinonia. It can also be translated communion, right? So participation, fellowship, communion. And the Greek word translated uh, being conformed is simorph, simorph, ooh-oh, simorph, ooh-oh. You hear the word morph like to morph, right? It means literally to become like. So one reason that we suffer as Christians is this, we identify with Jesus Christ. As we experience Christ's sufferings, we're drawn closer to him in a fellowship of his sufferings, okay? And I wanna be clear here, sharing in his sufferings does not earn us acceptance with God. It doesn't earn us more acceptance with God. It doesn't earn us resurrection, right? But it does enable us to identify with him. And that's what we want to unpack today. So, and I want to say this at the outset as well. Having said all that, that doesn't mean we're looking for suffering, right? That doesn't mean suffering is good in itself, right? God can use suffering for good, but we're not saying suffering is good in itself. And that doesn't mean uh, that we stay in a dangerous relationship, you know, because suffering, through suffering, we can identify with Christ. So that doesn't mean we're on the hunt for suffering. It's not good in itself. We don't stay in a dangerous relationship, but... If we live in this world, and last time I checked, we all do, right? We will experience suffering. We live in a broken world. And what a comfort it is to know that our Savior has lived in this broken world as well. And what that means is that God does more than just sympathize with us. He's actually experienced. In the person of Jesus Christ, God has experienced suffering as well. In fact, Isaiah uh, 53, four says this, you're familiar with this text. It says, surely, and remember Isaiah's writing 700 years or so before Jesus comes in the flesh. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Now here's my point in bringing up this text. This text means more than just that Jesus took the punishment that should have been ours. It doesn't mean less than that. Okay, so hear me clearly. It doesn't mean less than that, but it means more than that. The context of Isaiah 53 is the suffering of God's people in exile. Jesus, the suffering servant, 
has taken on himself the very sufferings of his people. He has experienced similar sufferings to us. Yes. Yes. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where I'm going with this, Louise. Have you ever felt ignored or dismissed? I mean, I have. And so has Jesus. In Matthew 23, 37, we read this. Jesus is looking out over the city of Jerusalem, close to his crucifixion, coming, his coming crucifixion. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And then he says, and yet you were not willing. Have you experienced rejection? I know you have. So did Jesus Christ. He came to his own people and even they didn't receive him. John 1 verse 11. Have you ever felt alone or abandoned? So did Jesus. After pledging their loyalty, you remember his three closest friends in Gethsemane fall asleep on His three closest friends. And all his apostles fled after his arrest. Mark 14, verses 27 through 52. Have you been betrayed? Jesus was betrayed by a close friend whom he loved, whom he trained for three years. In so many other ways, your suffering parallels Jesus' suffering. And so one reason Christians suffer is to, is to draw us closer to Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings. We suffer like Jesus suffered, and thus we grow in our identification with him, our union with him. So I think that's our, that's our first point, right? The fellowship of suffering, our identification with Jesus and suffering is a fellowship of suffering. Our identification with Jesus is suffering. Um, we want to talk about our union with Christ. When we turn from our sin and we trust in Jesus, the Bible says that through faith, we're actually united to him. The, probably the best analogy is a marriage. We're united to him. We become one, like one flesh, right? Union with Christ involves uh, a number of aspects. So two big buckets we could, we could use here. Number one, there's a legal, there's union with Christ and there's a legal ramification or aspect to our union with him. And, and namely, his track record of, righteous, of righteousness becomes our track record. What's true of him becomes true of us. The fancy word you've heard is justification, right? We're declared righteous in Christ. The Father sees us as if Jesus' record is our record. In Ephesians 1.7, we read about forgiveness of sin. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
In Psalm 103, we're told that our sin is taken away as far as the east is from the west. Jesus Christ takes away our sin. And not only that, in Romans 5.1, we're not only forgiven, we're justified. In Romans 5.1, we read, therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous, right? By faith, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You now have peace with God. That's not just the absence of strife. It's this deep harmony, this relational goodness. Yeah. Yeah, he is the Prince of Peace. Amen. Yes. So there's, there's this legal aspect of union with Christ. Hang with me. This is going somewhere. And then there's a personal Aspect and under personal, there's a whole bunch of different blessings that we could that we could talk about. One author says this: We are united to Him in an ongoing relationship because the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our souls and connects us to God. There are several aspects to this this personal aspect of our union with Christ. Um, one of those blessings we put under the legal heading of justification. Um, and, and let me just say this. This is one of the, this is one of the blessings of, of justification. I've heard it stated like this. Because Jesus lived a perfect life in your place, you can step off the treadmill of perfectionism and enjoy freedom. You are fully accepted by God now and you don't have to earn his favor. That's good news this morning. Yeah. We're complete in him. Amen. So there's union with Christ. There's a legal aspect which we would, justification would fall under that, right? Another aspect of our union with Christ under the personal, under this personal heading would be what we call adoption. We're adopted as sons and daughters of God, and Jesus is our great brother. The Bible says that we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. In fact, Romans 8.15 is one of my favorite verses. I'm trying to think hard about that lately so I can get this sunk into my own heart. Romans 8.15 through 17 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Uh-uh but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I've heard this adoption aspect explained like this. You've moved out of the courtroom where God sits as judge, and you've been welcomed into the family home. You've been welcomed into God's home. You're no longer isolated. You have the father and you have the family you've always wanted. Yes, Willie. You just read that we can call him Abba Father. Uh, one of my professors 
was a driving instructor and he had a Jewish man yeah. as a chief of students. Yeah. And he said, we arrived back at the Jewish man's home one day and out of the house came a little two-year-old running down the sidewalk. And he said, Abba, Abba, Abba. And that means that phrase of Abba, Father, so much differently. Like a little child talking to his dad. Yeah. To a loved, tender father. Yes. I've got to, got to, got to, got to move us here. Um, give, me, give me a sec and then we'll, we'll have you interact. Notice in verse 17 of Romans 8, 15 through 17, we're told this. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay. So this means that our union with Christ and these aren't the only aspects of that, but suffering is part of our union with Christ as well. In Romans 6, we're told that because we've been united to Jesus through faith, we have died with him, right? And it goes on to say that we will certainly be raised with him as well because we're united to him. And my point here is to say that our union with Jesus, our identification with him includes suffering. Now, that may not be good news to you this morning, but that's part of the gospel. But here's the good news is that just as Jesus has died, suffered and died, he was raised to new life. And so as certainly as we've died with him and we suffer with him, we shall also be raised with Christ. Here's, uh, here's how I've heard this aspect applied. When difficult times come, you are not alone. You are not being punished with your suffering. Christ empathizes and brings comfort because he loves you. You will not be overcome by your suffering. Those are the implications of our union with Christ and our suffering with him. Christians suffer because we're united to Christ. Since he suffered, we suffer. Christians suffer so that in our suffering, we draw closer to Jesus Christ. We identify with him more. Like I said, there's many other aspects of union with Christ I'm not going to mention today. So make a note to yourself on your, on your handout sheet. Those are not the only blessings of our union with Christ. Let me, let me pause. Questions, comments, concerns at this point? I just wanted to yeah. say it's very, very personal. But when we were raising our family, our children called on me, Papa. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to what you Yeah. And it is so endearing. Yes. I, I think the challenge for us, most of us, our experience tends to define how we see our Father God. And it's supposed to work the other way around. We're supposed to engage with the scripture and see that God the Father is tender, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, right? And that's supposed to define how we see him, and yet it often works the other way around. But yes, that is the point. Yeah. Kathy, did you want to say something? I was just, um, you had said, I can't remember how you worded it, but you do sometimes suffer because of chastisement, correct? Pardon me? 
sometimes suffer because of chastisement. So that... Yeah. So I think, I think maybe what you're keying on, as I said, in your suffering, you are not being punished. Right. And I know it's not punishment. Chastisement is different than punishment. It's working to make us, to justify us. Yep. You know, I just... To, to sanctify us. Right. Yep. Sanctify yep. you. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we're going to talk about that in future, future weeks. Okay. But let me just say this now, because I think it's an important point. Like oftentimes, when we're suffering, we, we think we're being punished. And the Bible is really clear. Like, I'm thinking of Romans 8.1. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, uh, how does it go? Therefore, there is no longer, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not a punishment Potentially, we could be disciplined. And that may seem like a distinction without a difference, but, but it is a difference. There is a difference there. Yeah, yeah, good clarification. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move us on for now. Sorry. Um, so Christians share in Christ's suffering because through faith we're united to him. What's true of him is true of us. And this includes our experience of suffering now and glory then. The idea is first the cross, then the crown. That's, that's how it worked for Jesus, and that's how it worked for us. And here's the thing. Our identification with Jesus is so deep that Paul can even talk of his sufferings as filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Look at, this is, this is kind of a mind-blowing text. Colossians 1.24 says this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. That's pretty mind-blowing. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. One thing to get clear before we go on to talk about this is that all the New Testament writers of Scripture, including the Apostle Paul, see the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus as necessary and sufficient for our salvation, for our redemption. Nothing is added. Nothing else is needed, right? So what's the old uh, mathematical formula? Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? So we know that Paul, what he's not saying is somehow our afflictions are earning us Salvation, filling up what is lacking in Christ as if, as if there's something lacking for our salvation. That's not his point. Our salvation, it is finished. Our salvation is finished. So what's going on here? John Calvin, Johnny, Johnny C., good friend of mine. He's pretty helpful in a lot of ways. And he comments on this verse, and he says this. We know that there is so great a unity between Christ and his members that the name of Christ sometimes includes the whole body. For example, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we read this. For just as the body is one and has many members, think about it, think about your body. You have a body, you've got a head, arm, a leg, right, an elbow. Your one body has many members. 
And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. And then Paul says, so it is with Christ. You get the picture? So that means every one of us, I'm probably like a little toe, <laughs> something like that, but we're all members of the body of Christ, which is, which is amazing. And then Calvin goes on to say this. As therefore Christ has suffered once, in his own person, so he suffers daily in his members. And in this way, there are filled up those sufferings which the Father has appointed for his body by decree. Here we have a second consideration which ought to bear up our minds and comfort them in afflictions that it is thus fixed and determined by the providence of God that we must be conformed to Christ in the endurance of the cross. And that the fellowship that we have with him extends to this also. Calvin was no mere intellectual theologian. He's warm and pastoral. Yeah, damn. If we're going to be like Jesus, and that's what the scriptures promise, and we, we yearn for that, but that means that we will love to the point of suffering. Yeah. Yeah, if we're going to be like Jesus and the scripture speaks to that and we yearn for that, that means that we're also going to have to, to love. How'd you say that? To the point of suffering. To the point of suffering, yeah. And, um, I mean... There are different aspects of love, but that idea of sacrificial, sacrificial love is one of the big ones in the scripture for sure. Yeah, Kathy. And we often don't know, like we said, the specific reasons, but here is one reason that the Bible clearly reveals. And I I, want to point you to that text in Acts chapter 9. Remember, Paul's on the road to Damascus. He's he's ready to to go after uh, some Christians. And remember, he's, he's confronted by the risen Christ, which is... Amazing, and the risen Christ speaks to him. Remember what he says? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's going after the body of Christ, and Jesus is identifying with that. It's an amazing text. Why are you persecuting me as you persecute my people? 
So our identity with Jesus is such that when we suffer, he also somehow mysteriously suffers and we experience the fellowship of his suffering. I want to try to make an application to how we experience the Lord's Supper. Identification with Jesus' suffering in the Lord's Supper. We can actually experience this identification with Jesus' suffering as we participate in the Lord's Supper appropriately, right? The Lord's Supper is a tangible and experiential sacrament where we believe that Jesus comes to us in that meal that's, that's more, uh, his, his presence is, it's more than just remembering him or being granted his grace. In the meal, Jesus is present to us, not according to the flesh, but in a personal presence through the Holy Spirit, right? And Jesus is present with us in the bread and the wine, and those point to his suffering and death. And that means that when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we can experience his presence and identify with his suffering and death. And at the same time, we can know that he's really spiritually present with us and he can identify with us and our suffering at the same time. Participating in the Lord's Supper in this way, we can truly experience communion with Jesus. He's really present spiritually through the Holy Spirit. And as we pour out our suffering to him, he identifies with us in our suffering as we participate in the Lord's Supper. One author said it like this, communion, this, the Lord's Supper, or participation in the Lord's Supper, reinforces for us our personal connectedness with Jesus. And it is this that is, and it is this that is the Christian sufferer's lifeline, okay? Hang with me here. We're almost done. The final thing I wanna just mention today with respect to our identification with Jesus and suffering is, is this, and that is Jesus' suffering is purposeful and therefore our suffering is purposeful. And I'm just going to throw a few texts at you. Number one, 1 Peter 3.18a says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. What's the purpose in Christ's suffering in that text? What's the purpose that that text gives us for Jesus' suffering? Salvation. Yeah, salvation. That we might be brought to God. Jesus' suffering is purposeful. And like yeah, and identifies us with him. Yes. Whether I'm a woman and you're a man. Right. He's all Yeah. And 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 his suffering has purpose. First Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. What's the purpose for Christ's suffering in that text? An example. Not a trick question. Be an example. Yeah, that we might follow in his steps. To be an example so that we would follow in his steps. There it is again. And then 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. What's the purpose there? That we might... 
died to sin and lived to righteousness. The point is, Jesus' suffering is purposeful. We're united to him, and therefore our suffering is purposeful as well. It's not meaningless. It's not in vain. It has purpose. Our suffering identifies us with the God who suffered, and therefore our suffering has purpose and meaning, and we're going to look at that more in the following weeks. In fact, here's where we're headed uh, in the following two weeks. We're going to continue this question, why do Christians suffer? What, did, what was the response today? Why do Christians suffer? Identification with Jesus. We enter into the fellowship of his suffering. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about suffering as testimony. That's another reason why Christians suffer. And then hopefully in two weeks, we'll talk about training in righteousness. And then we'll have one more on why Christians suffer after that. I'm going to leave these up, these, these questions. These might be some, you can take a picture or write them down, but these would be good. In fact, let's just... Uh, let's just take one. We have just a couple minutes. Let's just, this first question. If or when you've suffered, did you think of it as suffering with Christ? Why or why not? Did you think of it as suffering with Christ? Why or why not? I'd love to hear from, maybe from someone I haven't heard from yet. When you're suffering, have you thought of it as suffering with Christ? Why or why not? Roz? Until now? No. Honestly. Um, when I suffer and go through life's trials and everything, I always felt that Christ was with me going yep. through. Yep. But I didn't think of it yeah. yeah. Now I do. Yeah. It's a whole like little light bulb went on. Yeah. And it sure is a good feeling. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Neil. Although his suffering, he was without sin. He was without sin. There is that. And so his <laughs> suffering, we can identify only so much because we're sinners. Yeah. So even if something has come upon us that we don't think we deserve, we're still sinners. Yeah. And have our sin influences things. Yeah. And he was without sin. Yeah. His suffering was so much, I would imagine, greater, but we can somewhat relate. Yeah, good. That's, that, 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 that's helpful. Yeah. And yet, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a 
Third. Very good. That's a good place for us to end. And I'm going to re- try to repeat that for the, for the recording. But ba- basically, we started off talking about, have you ever been drawn to someone else, you know, as you've suffered together? And I think, I think what you're saying is, yes, I've experienced that uh, when I've suffered together with someone else. Now, having this category of suffering with Jesus, how much more that will enable me to, to count suffering joy. Again, not, not in the suffering itself, but it's, do, it's drawing me closer to him. And I have, a fellow, I have fellowship in my suffering with him. And we'll have to constantly remind each other of, of that, that that's the case. Let me, let me pray for us. Our Father and our God, these are things that are often easy to talk about uh, in a classroom like this. Um, Father, it's much harder to apply these as we experience suffering. So, Lord, thank you for uh, putting this category in our hearts and our minds, and we pray that the Holy Spirit uh, would would activate these truths and 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 make them experientially real to us as we experience suffering. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning who who has experienced significant suffering. Lord, I pray even now that your Holy Spirit would minister the the presence of Christ to them personally. Lord, and we, we ask these things in his good name. Amen.